not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your Hush country. Hush up, boy. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Boom, these explosions of bullshit. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> Hi, guys. This is Bipartisan, episode two for the national team and a happy 2024. Jerry, could you eat in the mic so we can get some ASMR? No, the people do not show up to hear me eat, but happy 2024. We're in an election year. We're starting off this new year with better audio quality. Can I get a can I get a, an applause? Oh. Yay! I feel so professional. We are professional. We're professional. We're rich. We are successful. Um, we're writing this down so we, this can all come true. And maybe we'll get famous one day. But you know what isn't getting famous right now? The southern border. If oh, anything, it's getting infamous. Good segue. <laughs> That's a good segue. Yeah, no, continue on to that. It, it's getting infamous. I mean, I mean, I... You all are very well-cultured listeners, as you may remember from last year during the Republican debate. The whole idea of invading Mexico got very, very popular. Mm. Why is this happening? A lot of people are, there's a bit of a border surge. Let me, let's be real. Let's be frank. People are, they are coming from Mexico. They're coming from Venezuela, Guatemala. They're making this very dangerous trip. They're crossing the Rio Grande. And we don't really know what to do. We being the U.S. government. Texas, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, he's trying to take actions to secure the border. He's being sued because the law kind of says it's a federal obligation to preserve the border, but the argument there is if the federal government doesn't do its job, shouldn't states step in? It's, it's getting very messy. It gets messy. Migrants, they're being bussed to Martha's Vineyard in New York, mm. and they don't have the capacity in these states to house them. It's a real humanitarian issue. It is, indeed. And so with that, I think you can guess the subject of today's episode is illegal immigration. Oh, I thought it would be busing. Oh, oh not busing. Oh. Um, <laughs> so we're going to start off with the stereotypical liberal versus conservative stances on this issue. And let's kick it off with the conservative issue. There's the argument that undocumented immigrants are more likely to break the law. They take jobs, quote-unquote, Drug cartels, huge cost to the taxpayers of America, thus the middle class. It's costing these states, these hot state hotspots, California and Texas, billions and billions of dollars in education, healthcare, Medicaid, food programs, and the criminal justice system costs, apparently, with welfare expenditures, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> those old things. But they're saying... You know, the fix, and this is what we've been hearing since 2016. Oh my God, there's a fix. We, we figured it out. We're going to build a wall on the border. We're going to build a great wall, and you know We're who's going to pay build, for it? Yeah. Mexico. Mexico is going to pay for it. There's also the occasional, we should build a wall on the Canadian border. Shout out Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy, gone too soon. His campaign, not um, his life. Got, not his life, yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure we'll see him in the future sometime. But yeah, so it's it's really a surge. It's a cyclical surge, I guess. Some years we talk very majorly about immigration, and sometimes we move on. It's really more of this. There's never really a solution. We just always talk about it every ten years. We're like, we're gonna get a bill. We're gonna create a bill. We're gonna pass a bill. The president will sign it. We're gonna have comprehensive immigration reform. Well, I don't necessarily agree on that. I think every year it's gotten a bit heavier. I think it is one of the most controversial kind of uh, topics that either side can cling to to gravitate 
more voters. So, I mean, with the election year, that's been a big topic amongst the Republicans especially, they're saying, and Democrats as well because of how Biden has, the Biden administration has been treating this issue with uh, allowing the wall to be built again with funds that were apparently already set away for the wall, kind of being very wishy-washy about their stance on immigration, illegal immigration. So I think it's just a hot topic that they want to pull more people in. I don't think it's going to go any away anytime soon, and I don't think there's going to be ways that I think that people are going to cling to this, and it's going to be a more divisive conversation because of where we are at with how urgent this issue is. If uh, that makes sense. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. You have a lot more faith in our ability to focus on one issue. So I respect that. You you have faith well, that America think we can, can focus. I don't think Americans can focus on anything. I just don't think this is going to go away anytime soon because it's, I think we're drifting away from this being an economic issue and more of it being something divisive about race as well. Well, you're throwing out the race I card. Think, I think, yes, because, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of propaganda and a lot of stuff going around and circulating online where it's no longer about how these corporations who are obviously paying these immigrants slave wages and abusing the fact that they can't really go to another place with a steady income and it's redistrib redistributing the wealth. So, I mean, now the middle class is mad at these immigrants for taking their jobs, right? That's the message. Um, when in reality, it's, I mean, it's planned. Like, they want these people to refocus themselves on saying, oh, it's a race thing rather than, the people at the top who are placing these other people in order to get low or lower wage workers, you know? Oh, I, I've got to push back on that. You're going to push back I, on I'm, that? I'm going to push back on that. I think that it isn't so much a racially based thing, but more of a, it's how our system works. We have always been a melting pot as a country. But the problem is more and more people are coming, well, to kind of understand this, we have to go back like 60 years. We used to have quota systems on how many people we would allow into this country. Mm -hmm. You know, the Immigration Act of 1924, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. We had limits. We would only target people from certain countries. And then we got rid of the quota system in, I think, 1965 when Lyndon Johnson signed the Immigration and Naturalization Act. And that just kind of eliminated the cap system. You know, bring, bring me your tired and your poor your huddled masses, essentially. I mean, Johnson even signed it in front of the Statue of Liberty. But today is not about my beef with Lyndon Baines Johnson. Mm -hmm. Today is about this idea of the issue isn't racial. The issue is just more the incentives to come are too high. I, I, I'm not saying it's grounded in this racial prejudice. I, I'm saying that it's trending towards that because I think it is grounded in just we're evaporating the middle class. And now it's not, let's be mad at these top, or let's not be mad at the people running the companies. Let's be mad at the people who are taking the jobs when it's not their fault. You know well, what I'm it, saying? It kind of, it's, it's not their fault, but they choose to take these jobs. There are a lot of people who need work and they can't get work. And they're being told, well, just learn how to program and you'll get a job. People don't really like to be lectured to. Well, I mean, what do you think about the argument where, I mean, a lot of Americans aren't taking these jobs? because they're seen as like the lower rung. A lot of Americans have this pride about themselves that they don't want to take them. True. I, I mean, I'm, I'll be the first one to say I, I can't go out there and start a manual labor business. I'm not built for manual labor. I'm, 
It's a skill issue, I know. Politics major over here. Oh, all right, commerce. All right, commerce. But <laughs> yes, anyway. gee, we don't have that sense of hunger that a lot of immigrants, they, they, they show up here with nothing but the clothes on their backs, and they work the jobs that we do not wish to work, and they send money back to their friends and neighbors. And their families. Oh, yeah, their family. I don't know why. I went straight to friends. Friends and neighbors, anyone. And then they bring their families over, and they all they have a wonderful sense of community that we don't have being native-born Americans, but that doesn't excuse the fact that as long as there are American citizens out of work, I don't think that we should be prioritizing those who lack the legality. Okay, so and that's where we can drift off into like some of the other arguments about the conservative um, standpoint where um, immigrant-headed households have especially high use of Medicaid versus natives uh, of the U.S., so 33% for immigrants and 20% for natives, and then for food programs, it's 31% versus 19%, which is interesting. So now we can go on to the liberal. You really, really set it up perfectly. Liberal, Medicaid, these are things that We are make, just buzzwording the hell they, out of this. Yes, they are. They're the words that make, the, you know, the heartbeat of the liberal isn't the great society program, which included Medicaid. Lyndon the heartbeat Johnson of the liberal. Yeah. Oh my goodness, we're going to have to do a Johnson episode. Anyway, liberal <laughs> argument. So we're already on stolen land. We are a country of immigrants. Like you said, we're a melting pot. You know, we should be welcoming this. This is who America is. This is how we were founded. We are just group full of people just assimilating with each other. Four academic studies show that illegal immigration does not increase the prevalence of violent crime or drug and alcohol problems. So this was research motivated, motivated by Trump's Trump administration rhetoric. Um, social scientists, that should be social scientists, set out to answer this question, are undocumented immigrants more likely to break the law? So we have Michael Light here citing it. A criminologist at the University of Wisconsin looked at whether the soaring increase in illegal immigration over the last three decades caused a commensurate jump in violent crime, murder, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. And they're saying increased undocumented immigration since 1990 has not increased violent crime over the same time period. Which makes sense. Undocumented immigrants have a fear of being deported. Hmm. So they're going to follow the rules much better than you and I will. And if anything, it's commendable. We should all take a page out of that playbook. They're going to fall. <laughs> I, I, weird how you worded that. They're going to follow the rules much more than you and I. That's will, crazy. They will. They will. Because if they get you know, arrested and you, you know everything today has to have a social security number and all of that stuff, and then you find out that, hey, you don't have these things, that's not good. Versus you and I, we'll probably be okay. Mm. So you're saying there's the privilege aspect of it all? There is a bit of privilege. Our citizenship does give us a unique privilege. I I guess so. Well, yeah. Well, well, but to go back to a liberal, Joe Biden. Yes. Oh, Oh, Mr. Biden himself. This this guy. This guy. 2020, he's going all, well, I was going to say up and down the country. He didn't really go up and down the country. But he was getting on the news and he was talking about bringing back a sense of humanity. He said he was going to end the, the draconian Trump policies of building the wall. He was going to stop the family separation. None of that. We were not going to put people in Mm -hmm. cages. Moral and ethical were basically his words. He wanted to have this type of, we're better than this energy. We're better than this America. Well, you know what happens when politicians get in office. And when they promise things. Oh, and then they can't deliver these things. That's odd, right? Since taking office, President Biden has actually kind of expanded the wall. A little bit. What, 15 miles was it? I think which yes. is, you know, shocking from, and a lot of Democrats are just, well, some, certain Democrats aren't happy about this. And we well, can, we, I mean, we have the governor of New York 
Kathy Hochul. I mean, we have, uh, who is it, someone in Illinois? Uh, J.B. J. Pritzker in yes. Illinois. Because yes. conservative states are busing migrants to liberal states and just saying, here you go, deal with this problem. And they don't like that, but they don't want to criticize the president. It's, it's this very odd balance between the, uh, the humane side and the law-abiding side. And I think President Biden has backed himself into a corner because under President Trump, the government had a zero-tolerance policy. Hmm. I believe it was Title 42. And we had Remain in Mexico. You know, I mean, U.S. authorities, they could deport adults who crossed the border illegally. Now, in some cases, parents were deported back to their home countries without their children which, of course, if you remember, was very controversial. Very controversial. I feel like there was like a specific number. It was only like 1,500 children stuck without their parents in this country sort of thing. No one liked that. President Trump defended it, and he continues to defend it. Hey, it's okay. It was a deterrent. <laughs> I guess we'll have to talk about this whenever we get to you know crime and punishment. <laughs> and, of course, that brings us to Title 42, which has been talked about quite a bit lately. Mm. We used it when COVID first came around to stop the introduction of communicable diseases. You can just override immigration law. Asylum seekers, no. Be gone. But what? <laughs> that's, what, that's what they're saying. <laughs> Essentially, and Biden said, I'm going to end this program, but he really hasn't. And then they've gone into this long back and forth about it. And this fear that if Title 42 were to be you know, rescinded, the problem would get far worse. So what, what, what do we do? I don't know. Well, I mean, there's critiques on both sides of these things, and we can wrap this up. I'm going to put on my little polit political hat. Yes. You know, my political hat. Take on your political hat. I am going to pretend I'm a Republican member of Congress. Mm. What incentive do I have to let Joe Biden have a win when I can just keep this problem going, let it, because voters are giving him very poor marks on his, his immigration policy. Mm -hmm. Why solve this problem when I can let it continue, use it, so that Donald Trump gets reelected, Republican House and Senate, and we try again in 2025. If I were a Republican, I would have no incentive to negotiate this deal. No I wouldn't incentive. either. I wouldn't either. And it's not about the people. It's about getting reelected. So. And even the Democrats. The Democrats don't know what to do. Border Democrats in Arizona and Texas, they have an incentive. They want to solve the problem. But their friends in New York and Rhode Island and Connecticut, we love New York. And the Capitol. Oh yeah, them too. Those guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. They 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 want they want to still keep to that idyllic liberal creed of humanitarianism, helping people. Admirable, but not very political. Mm. But let me take off my political hat. Jared's political hat is off. I think now is a good time to transition. We are going to be introducing our guest speaker, Professor Amanda Frost. Uh, she's a research professor here at the University of Virginia of Law and the director of the Immigration Law Program. Uh, she's been published in The Atlantic, The New Republic, The Washington Post, and The New York Times. So I'm going to let Jared and Lily Bass take it away from here. All right, Professor Frost, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come talk about some very important issues with us. Uh, thank you for having me. And to kick things off, kick you know, it's a little bit of a history lesson for our listeners. In 1986, uh, President Ronald Reagan signed the Immigration Reform and Control Act into law. Now, some have argued that the act, which provided a pathway for citizenship for nearly 3,000 
you know, immigrants was a failure in policy. Yet others say that the issue was that Congress just did not provide enough support for border enforcement in the years that followed. This idea that we dropped the ball in the 90s, and that's why we're kind of where we are today. But considering you're a scholar of immigration law, I wanted to, we wanted to hear what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, sure. So what uh, I think you're referring to, what IRCA did was give um, uh, the Immigration Reform and Control Act, it gave 3 million undocumented immigrants in the United States uh, a pathway to legal status and citizenship at the same time that it ramped up enforcement. And then laws also put in place penalized Americans, U.S. citizens, for hiring undocumented immigrants and made it um, a violation of actually even criminal law, but certainly people could be subject to fines and penalties for hiring undocumented immigrants. So what the law tried to do was both give amnesty or legalize the status of undocumented immigrants in the United States and then disincentivize future undocumented immigrants by cutting off pathways to work and by enforcing a security at the border. And the view is generally it was unsuccessful. I would say not in terms of stopping future immigration, but I would say for a couple of reasons, not border security necessarily, but one, there's almost no enforcement against employers. And that's true whether the president's Republican or Democrat, President Trump, who did a little tiny bit more enforcement when it came to employers, but not much. So U.S. citizens are hiring undocumented immigrants today as they have throughout our history, and they are doing so with impunity. They are never fined. They are never jailed. And so if you're upset by lawbreakers, I would say start with the U.S. citizens who are hiring undocumented immigrants. So that's one one maybe problem with the implementation of the law. And another problem is I think it's very hard to disincentivize desperate people from fleeing from desperate situations. So what has reduced undocumented immigration more than anything else has been when countries like Mexico are doing better economically. And then that reduces the pressure on people to leave um, the United States. I'm sorry, leave for the United States. And then the last quick point I'll make on this is that there's some who argue that increased border security has actually increased undocumented immigrants in the United States. And the reason that is, is because undocumented immigrants used to come into the United States without authorization, work for six months, and then leave. And then maybe a year later, come back again for six months. They weren't looking to live forever in the U.S. They were, were looking to earn a little bit of money and then come back to their home country and their family. But be, by militarizing the border and putting in draconian penalties for those who are found to be crossing illegally, including making it a felony if you re-enter illegally and decades of jail time, uh, people just stay. They don't leave. So there's uh, arguments made and people have gathered data to say increasing border security has actually increased our undocumented immigration problem. I feel like I've never thought about it before, how that actually maybe increasing the security would make people stay more and because people would think maybe it would prevent people from coming, but it also would prevent people from leaving. Yep. Because they can't get back in. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I was asking about that is because you said something about how the citizens are the ones actually doing a lot of the law breaking by hiring undocumented workers. But how much of that do you think has to do with labor being potentially cheaper if you're hiring undocumented workers? Do you think that's a major part of it? Or So I've heard a couple of different things. One is certainly some of the employers are employing undocumented immigrants below minimum wage or in unsafe working conditions or forcing them to work in long hours that are profitable for the employer, but bad for the worker and that they couldn't do to American workers. That may well be part of it. I will just add 
that undocumented workers have all the same rights in the workplace as do legal workers. So employers, not only are they not supposed to legally hire undocumented workers, but they also can and should be penalized for paying below minimum wage, for creating unsafe work conditions. All those labor laws apply whether you're documented or not. They are hard to enforce, right? Because if you're undocumented and you complain, what's going to happen next? Um, and obviously people are afraid to complain or point out these problems. So that may be one reason that employers are hiring undocumented workers. But another is we, you know, we have 3% unemployment. Like we need workers. We need, so uh, approximately 80% of the people that harvest the crops are undocumented. Yeah. Say that again, 80%. So that means we need people to harvest the crops. There's not a ton of Americans who want to be out in the fields harvesting crops. And, you know, maybe if we paid them huge amounts of money, they'd do it. But then think about how much our food would cost. And that's a cost that Americans already feel in their pocketbooks right now. So I would say the answer there is create more legal immigration slots for unskilled workers who can do the work we desperately need them to be doing and that they're currently doing. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, especially on one side of the immigration argument, there's a lot of they are taking our jobs type of mentality when it's the majority of undocumented workers are doing the jobs that born Americans are not doing. Yeah. I mean, I will say the other, like, I think that the studies show that economically immigrants, including undocumented immigrants, benefit our country. But I will say, like many other things, sometimes I I, am, I want to acknowledge the fact that some of the people harmed by documented immigration are the very poorest off of Americans. Yeah. They're the ones who are competing for those jobs. And we should find ways to redistribute the economic benefit of immigration to those individuals to help them. And I do feel strongly about that. But it, it is true that on the whole, we need them and our economy needs them and our economy functions better with immigrants. And of course, let's remember, many immigrants are here legally and they are also a great asset. And then we have undocumented immigrants who we also seem to need and bringing them out of the shadows would help us all. All right, well, there are two other programs that we've seen that have been kind of a more modern approach to Reagan's in Immigration Reform and Control Act, like DACA and DREAM, which are um, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals and Development Relief and Education for Alien Minors. Do you think that these measures or these new modern acts will have more success than the act that Reagan put into place, the Reagan amnesty, or as some people call it, the 86 law, or do you think they're going to potentially meet a similar fate? Well, so DACA is not legislation. DACA is executive actions. I'll just explain quickly what that is because it's been yes. in the courts and will be in the courts. So Obama started that in 2012 to say that people who were brought to the United States as children, so in other words, the least culpable, right? They didn't choose yeah. to be undocumented or violate the law. And if they had to, they had to clear some other benchmarks like graduate from high school and not have a criminal record, they could get not legal status, to be clear, not legal status, but a two-year promise by the government not to deport them. So forbearance from removal combined with work authorization. So it allowed these individuals to come out of the shadows and they could you know, then live and work legally, or at least without fear of being deported immediately, and they could apply for renewal of that status. So that's over 10 years ago, but it's been under attack. Biden, uh, sorry, Trump tried to rescind it. Biden has recently tried to solidify that program, but it's been challenged in court. It was just struck down by a district court in Texas is on appeal. And eventually, I think we'll go to the Supreme Court unless probably, you know, if Trump gets reelected, I imagine the program will die. The DREAM Act has never been enacted into legislation. That was the federal statute that would have given through federal legislation, through enactment by Congress, legal status to people who were brought to the United States as children, to that same group of people. 
And there's been some bipartisan support for that, but it has not become law for lots of complex reasons. Congress has not acted in many ways in which it's badly needed in the immigration space. So that hasn't become law. So, you know, we can't know whether that would be successful. Um, it, we do have DACA, but that is a jerry-rigged executive branch solution. So not as, not as secure as legislation. Well, in a lot of ways, like in a way sets us up for our third question, where for so much of the immigration argument, it's that it's a one side or the other. There's the Republican solution, there's the Democratic solution. And we saw in 2016, Donald Trump campaigned on the more hardline position of we're going to build a wall, we're going to you know, make Mexico pay for it. And then in 2020, we saw Biden campaign on more of the humanitarian approach to it. And even now we're seeing in 2024 where a position is we're going to send troops into Mexico to deal with this issue. But at least for Trump and Biden in office, they both had to not moderate their stances, but kind of pivot away from the more extremes of their positions. And I guess this is a long-winded way to say, can there be a third way with immigration or will we just continue the current stagmate? I mean, I think there are certainly pieces of the immigration problem that we see bipartisan support for, and it would be helpful if we could at least enact those reforms. So there is some bipartisan support for, for giving status to people brought as children to the United States. Um, they're culturally American. They're American in like all but legal status. They don't seem like they're responsible in any way for their status. I mean, you know, a 12-year-old doesn't choose whether to come to the U.S. legally or not. They just bring brought along by their parents. So um, that group has been a group that there's been bi bipartisan support and a great deal of public sympathy for. There was also an effort to try to get um, undocumented farm workers, people harvesting the crops who I mentioned before, to give them legal status, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's to me a sign of the failure of our system that we just accept the fact that the people that feed us are not legally present with none of the rights and protections and status that should come with that. And that group has had some bipartisan support, but not enough to get legislation enacted. I also think one thing that might move the debate here that would be an interesting, unusual move would be if Biden, for example, were to crack down on undocumented on the employment of undocumented immigration in just Texas and Florida. Those are states that are very upset about undocumented immigrants, seem really upset with the administration. Let's just stop all the undocumented immigrants from working there. Let's put in jail the Texans and the Cal and the Floridians who are hiring those people. And let's shut down construction, shut down the food industry, shut down, you know, the, the people who clean the homes and take care of the children, arrest all those Americans who are breaking those immigration laws. And then let's see where we are with undocumented immigrants and whether we think we want them. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. I don't think I, it would be a necessarily great thing that would happen. It would send a message. It would send a strong message. How are like people and how people affect, you know, because I think this has to do sort of with how Biden and Trump, when they were doing their running, they stick to their sides because they know that that's what their people want to hear. Do you think that it's kind of really similar to the last question because it's more as um, if people keep wanting one thing on one side, like the conservative view and the liberal view, and we just keep getting a conservative or liberal president, do you think that action will always stay the same? Or do you think there will be, like, do you think Biden could ever do something like you were just talking about, like actually well make a... Biden has done, both Biden, Trump, and Obama both used executive power in really creative ways in the immigration 
space, in part because Congress wasn't legislating. I think Congress is the real failure here. But all three of those presidents changed immigration policy very significantly. So we do see the presidents doing as much as they can with the limited tools they have. So Obama put in place the DACA program we were just talking about. Trump enacted the you know the travel ban where he said the uh, nationals of six different countries, uh, predominantly Muslim countries, couldn't come to the United States. He also put in place the Remain in Mexico program that stopped asylum seekers from being, ent- being able to enter the United States. And then Biden has both put in place some very strict limits on ability to get asylum that look actually Trumpian. They look very similar to what Trump did. But he also has put in place a parole program granting parole to people from uh, Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. And and that's a program that's opened the door to a lot of people. So all of these presidents are consistent with what they view as the best result, changing policy, but we don't have Congress acting. And that would be what would really move the needle. Well, I think that's actually really interesting because I feel as though Biden said a lot while he was campaigning and said a lot at the beginning of his presidency about how he was going to fix the immigration issue and help people get into this country legally. And it seems as though he just has not been doing that. And he's almost been doing things that feel, as you said, a little Trumpian. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's a mix. I think what I've heard his administration say is they have a carrot and stick approach. So They've tried to, first of all, they're responding to the reality of there's, you know, political pressure to have the border under control, not to feel that the country is being inundated by people that they can't control their arrival and can't support them when they're here. Um, so there's an effort to sort of make the, to, to change the way the southern border is being used as a place where people come to seek asylum and instead have people come in what they call like more orderly pathways. So they carrot stick approach. So the, the stick part is it really limits people, their current rule limits people from getting, from applying for asylum um, unless they jump through a bunch of hoops. And that's uh, a, a policy that's now being challenged in the Ninth Circuit. And then at the same time, they've granted parole, a lot of this, this ability to come to the U.S. on a short-term status to the people from those four countries I mentioned before, and also granted temporary protected status to people in the United States from various countries. So carrot and stick, like both trying to be more lenient, but also restricting the way people are coming to the southern border. I'd say I see both. And I, I really do agree with what you said. A lot of this is Congress just not being able to you know, get the job done. The president can only do so much with a pen and an executive order. And time will tell whether or not we really get something. We have a hard time legislating, sure. Yeah. In the past two months. <laughs> yep. On everything, but immigration in particular. Yeah, 100%. But suppose it to say, you know, let's say Congress, they get to the, they get to work, they come up with proposals that have a chance of passing. And considering the economic impacts, do you think that comprehensive immigration reform should prioritize the, the needs of the workforce, or should it take into account national security concerns, or should we just try to find a solution that tries to do the best of both? Well, I mean, so our immigration policy should incorporate lots of values, just like other major programs. I mean, I'll just stop here and say that this really matters to me. I mean, we are a nation of immigrants. That's sort of our tagline. I think it's true. Right now, we have about 14% of our population is foreign born. Another 10% are the children of immigrants. So 
a quarter of the United States has been made and remade every generation by our immigration laws. And I think it's our great strength. It's our superpower as a country. And we do very well integrating new immigrants. We do better than most countries, which is something to celebrate. And it's been a strength, not a weakness of our country. So uh, next is, well, what should our policies be going forward? I mean, we should we should incorporate lots of values into our immigration policy, the same way we have lots of values that get incorporated into our you know, education policies and our infrastructure policies um, and our economic policies. So, you know, one value should be attracting skilled workers and attracting unskilled workers who we need to have a vibrant economy. And we're doing a terrible job at that. I mean, Canada has noticed. And what they do is they say, you want to come to the U.S. and work? And you've been vetted, but are having trouble, you know, finding, be, being treated well in the United States because we have lots of draconian treatment of these people. Okay, as soon as you show us that you've been vetted by the U.S., just come to Canada and we'll treat you really well. And 10,000 people applied in 48 hours who were legally permitted to work in the U.S., but were so tired of our immigration bureaucracy that they jumped ship and went to Canada. These are skilled workers we lost. So Canada is taking advantage of us and our incompetence in immigration, as is the European countries and some Asian countries. We're still a powerhouse. We still attract immigrants. But boy, you know, it might not last forever. So our economic policies, we should absolutely uh, adjust laws to allow in more skilled and unskilled labor than we currently have and create more pathways. We also should continue to provide a safe haven and have humanitarian um, forms of relief for people who are seeking asylum. That has always been since George Washington. We've always valued that and we should continue to. And family unity, you know, bringing families together should be another goal, goal of our, our policies. And, and of course, protecting national security, right? No question that we shouldn't give that up on that, nor do we have to. We can vet people and we have been doing so very effectively. Non-citizens, immigrants, whether undocumented or not, commit fewer crimes on average than the U.S. citizen and they're not a risk. The homegrown terrorist is a much bigger problem for the United States. So I'm not concerned about that, but of course we should continue to vet people and be careful in our admissions process as we, as we always have been. Yeah, well, I think also something that I think gets skipped over a lot on the immigration debate is not how we're letting people in or who we're letting in or how it's gonna affect our economy or whatever, but there is just a very simple humanitarian crisis that's happening, especially at the border with how people are being detained. And especially during the Trump administration, he, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was separating children from their parents. And that was a crisis. And I feel as though, and I might be wrong on this and Jared, you can correct me. I feel like that doesn't get as much media attention as I feel like it should. And I mean, it was, I, I remember when there was the family separation policy, and yeah. I, I know you would as well, Professor, there was a lot of coverage about it, but it was more on the idea of, this is very bad, this is, you know, not moral, this is not who we are as a country, but I think, to your point, there wasn't a lot of... Outrage? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel the outrage was there, but you can correct us if we've... Yeah, actually, I disagree on that. I would say it was the one moment where the American people, Republican and Democrat alike, rose up and said this is absolutely unacceptable and they abandoned the policy very quickly which to me shows me that the the power of the people remains that that it is possible to influence even a draconian administration when it comes to you know being really hard on immigration and it wasn't like the people who were upset about this all of them were pro-immigration or thought all those people should be able to come to the u.s they just said no you don't take a two-year-old from their mother like you just don't do that ever in the interest of making some political point or or trying to enforce immigration law, you don't do that to people. And 
it was, I think, a heartwarming moment for me because they abandoned that policy and they did it because of the outrage. So I just view that very differently. It was the one policy where I saw they really stopped doing what they had been doing based on the media coverage, followed by a really outraged response. It just shows you one one screaming, you know, hysterical two-year-old as she's ripped from her mother's arms kind of did it for America, which, as I said, is the good news. Maybe what I'm thinking about is I feel like our country sometimes falls short where we have something like a crisis, like when you see that video of the two-year-old being taken away from the parent and the outrage occurs, and then it fizzles. And even though there are still horrible things happening at the border, it's just not talked about as much because there's not like a big thing occurring. I don't know. I feel like people just tend to forget about the crises that are happening all around this country. Yeah, that's hard. We have a lot a lot going on in all of our lives and a lot of sad images in our media feeds and it's very easy to become hardened or to, to stop paying attention. Good thing we're bringing it back up because it's important to keep talking about these things and getting insightful, educated responses on it. Um, I, I think we're good. I think that was great. Well, you know, I just have... I have one last Aaron. question. I do. Now, this is we've we've spent a lot of time, you know, talking about very, you know, hard hitting, slightly, you know, saddening facts about our immigration system. And I guess this is just one of those to close. Do you have a a moment of hope or an idea that in our current system that makes you hopeful for the future? Oh, yeah. There's that's. I mean, that goes back to my point about I think of immigration as a great strength for the United States, and so we tend to focus on the crises. The the southern border or the undocumented immigrants. But uh, what gives me hope is, first, I have a student this semester who actually naturalized during the class. I've had many students who are naturalized citizens before, but we got to celebrate her. And that was a reminder of the happy moments in our immigration system. Um, and also the fact that you know we are a country that's now actually not reproducing ourselves. Uh, Native-born population, the birth rate is below reproduction uh, re replication level. So we need immigrants. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we're going to be, because it, we still remain a country that attracts some of the very best and the brightest in the world. And I hope we can continue to do that. It's our superpower. All right, well, thank you, Professor. Thank you, so thank you for having me. Have a good rest of your weekend. Lily and Jared really crushed that. Am I right? It was an incredible thank you. Yes. The credit Slay. all goes to Professor Frost for that insightful discussion. I learned a lot. I did. I learned a lot from listening. I, I think it's interesting to note that, I mean, I don't think we can avoid immigration or illegal immigration. I don't think there's a way to avoid it. It's been in our history. We are an immigrant country. And I thought it was interesting to hear her say that we as a country do better with immigrants than other countries. I also think it's important to note that like, what is the future of unskilled versus skilled labor? Because that's a term I hear a lot. And although, like, people labeling these jobs as unskilled, when it really does take a lot of skill, it's just a different sort. And I might be biased. I'm from the countryside. People tell um, these, these kids if they just get a high school degree and then they go on the farm and they start working that it's, they look down on it and they see them as uneducated, which is such a this elitist attitude and that term I think unskilled is very elitist in itself so but what is the future of that talk a lot and sorry to just dominate the conversation but I want to ask you this question 
in business, coming from a business perspective, oh, there yeah. is the talk of like the future of AI and technology and how it can make these quote like lower jobs, um, and I hate to use that word, but for lack of a better term, um, obsolete in the future. They can just be replicated by AI or a machine or a robot, and that's the future we're trending towards. So what do you think would happen? I mean, I don't think these people in the top 0.1% who are running these corporations um, are going to think too much about the moral dilemma of this. They're thinking about the bottom line. So what is America going to be when a majority of its workforce is just wiped out? Is there going to be a place for immigrants to come to and start a new life? Is America going to be for dreamers? Or are we just going to be forever climbing at this growing gap between being wealthy and um, trying to survive paycheck by paycheck? What a great question. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking it. I'm no expert. I'm just a kid who I'm loves, just a guy. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just a guy who loves politics and government. I think that as long as we live under our capitalist society, there will always be those who have and those who do not have. That is an unfortunate reality. But what we can then do through a public policy standpoint mm. is try to make the playing field as fair as possible. We've always been a country where hard work is rewarded, where a person can show up with nothing more than the clothes on their back. They can get a job. They can work hard. They can save, build equity, buy a home, build equity. Build equity. Build equity. Next thing you know, bam. They've got the American dream. So America will always be for dreamers. And while I dislike the usage of the word unskilled laborers, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it's kind of on, not me personally, but where I'm from, outside Washington, D.C., there is a tendency to look down on the non-office jobs, which is unfair. It is crazy. If anything, yeah. bricklayers, you know, masons and landscapers work a heck of a lot harder than office Dude, people. Dude, the ap apocalypse rolls around. Who's going to... It's 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 not the people who are studying aren't studying anthropology like <laughs> we're done me studying I'm, I'm done so people I'm, over I'm here can run we're <laughs> all done it's over it's over for all of us those who know how to use their hands and make you know the skilled laborers they are the ones they are the ones that we and need I think to they're, I think them. they're winning like there's more satisfaction in that than fucking running numbers and putting in stocks but and you I digress you can't automate certain th the, the people talk about the threat of AI we're going to be okay. There are some jobs. You think that, so? Yes, there are some jobs that can't be automated. You need a person. You can't. But they're <laughs> saying that that's only the case for those who are going into higher education, who have these unique perspectives on stuff, not stuff that can be done by hand. They're saying those jobs are the ones that are going to be proven obsolete. It's the creativity and the innovation that can't be replicated. Um, so I think there is a very real chance that once we reach the pinnacle of technology Ooh. if that ever happens or if that's just always going to be rechasing a pinnacle we might really have to reconsider the whole capitalist structure oh, no no i mean but what's the point if we're just going to be run by a few rich people no, no, no. a lot of america's greatest inventions were brought to we're, us we're by trending off topic tra <laughs> trending off topic um but i think that's an interesting segue into many other further conversations that is, it is well you know alexander graham bell he was not an american he came over here gave us the telephone and we thank him <laughs> for it 
Can we get another Alexander Graham Bell in the house, in the building? New telephone alert? Anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> he also wanted us to say ahoy when we answered the phone, but that did he not. He did? Yes, it didn't that did stick. Not, that did not it didn't on. stick. <laughs> Maybe you should bring that back. Uh, bipod is in trend. Ahoy. Um, anyway, ahoy. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great Sunday, 2-4-24. Oh, we are so close to Super Tuesday, but that's another topic Super entirely. Tuesday. Okay, we'll, we'll exit with the... Oh, boy, it's swell to say... Good morning, USA. Thank you. And good night. And good night. A big shout out to everyone who makes this production possible and helps bipartisan uh, stay alive. Oh, really, true. the heart, it's just like the church. The church is its people and bipartisan is its uh, great, hardworking one hundred helpers. Thank um, you so much to production and our research team. Without them, none of this would be possible. Production specifically, Michelle Nguyen, um, our second year national team researcher, and then Jenny Mackler, our first year national team researcher. And our production man, Henry Morris. Henry Morris, technology expert, and then also a shout out to William Kennan, technology lover, and then a big thanks to um, our communications and social media, AK and Josh. So um, thank you guys so much for helping out and everyone should really pay them and give them money 